it's a, it's a wild world, and that's okay because we're going back to Judges. So if you have your Bibles and want to go back, we're in Judges, and we're picking up again sort of the end of what the introduction to Judges is. And what I thought was that we, uh, we're going to have these amazing stories because the stories are coming. And, and today we don't have really a story but a setting of the stage, a, sort of an overview picture, if you will. And I thought of it like this. I thought of it like I looked out my window because I can look out into my backyard and I kind of check before I go to bed just to make sure nothing crazy's happened out there. You know, it's Bellingham. You're worried about break or whatever. So you, you, I poked my head in and I looked out and I couldn't see a thing. Oh, I forgot to turn the light on. So I go down, I just flip the switch on the light and I take a look and I can see and I can see the gate and I can see the way out and I can see it's all clear. Okay, I'm good. And I go to bed. That's a dad thing for your family, you know, just making sure everything's safe and clear. That's the kind of light I want to shine today on what we're going to do with judges. Because we're going to go down and outside and look at the pathway stones of the way that God wants us to think about this amazing Old Testament book and about him and us. But if you're not careful and, and you don't turn that light on, you might, instead of going on the path, you might take a, a, a blind turn. And in fact, there are a couple blind turns people take with Judges that I want to make sure we don't do. And that gets driven into your heart how amazing this book is. That we're not stumbling as we try and understand this 3,000-year-old text. So instead of seeing it as an incredible pointing to Jesus, which it is, you and I are prone to take it as a guide to how to stay right with God. What that means is what we generally do is we take ourselves and we plop ourselves into the Israelites' shoes. And we think we have the relationship with God that they did. And instead, what's going on, as we'll see today, is, is, is it's the beginning of showing the incredible heart of God looking forward to what he's going to do with a forever deliverer in Jesus. That's for you. So I want you to show you that as, as we go this and shine the light on this, n- not the dead end. We've got to see the dead end to see the way that forward. Because the most common dead end, not just for not just for us, but for everybody who's religious in any way, not even Christian. The sort of idea is, if I'm good, then the big guy upstairs will bless me. If I'm bad, then he won't. And I see the world through those lenses. And I want you to take those lenses and step on them. Okay, so in Judges we get to see it's a pipe dream because there's nobody good. We keep failing, but people aren't faithful, so let's see what God does. What's his plan? So we're going to start there, shining our light on God's people. God's people, let's take a look. Uh, Looks like my slides are having a little interesting today. Technology at its finest. So if you can, just head up to Judges chapter 2, verses 6, and we'll walk through it and we'll read it together. So, verse 6, chapter 2, Judges. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of an inheritance in Timoth, 
or Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. Pause there for a minute with me. So it's kind of sets the stage, right? It's not hard to understand. There's this recap, this summary statement. It's like he picks it up again. So it's almost like the curtain comes up, and again he picks up, oh, remember, there's Joshua, and Joshua had led these people into the promised land. And and these are all the people who directly saw the miracles of God. They'd seen the plagues, some of them. They'd seen the pillar of fire, the miraculous clothes and the food, the walls falling at Jericho. We just shouted and the walls fell down. They saw the earth swallow up God's enemies. They saw the sun stand still. Yeah, they served the Lord with fear that what amazing God, work God had done for them, they saw it with their eyes. So this people, the people with Joshua, they're not people of faith, right? You get that. They're not people of hope. They're people of sight. They saw what the Lord had done. This is reality. The people are nothing like you and me who haven't seen Jesus with our eyes. They saw God do what he'd never done before. Of course they served God their whole lives. Eventually eventually they died, it says. And then the next generation, they just had these stories, these promises, these this land, this daily living. They didn't connect it to what God had made everything happen for them. So they weren't, that's because they weren't about trusting. They're, they're about seeing, right? <laughs> like, hey, Remember what grandma said about that story about what God had done for them? That's so cool. And here we are in this. But but it was just, they had seen it. Their parents had seen it. But not them. So the stories were just, just stories. And so there in verse 11, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Okay, it's hard for us to even understand that. Kind of cuts us out old gods and 3,000 years ago. And what are they doing? Yeah, but the, the thought isn't hard to understand, right? They did evil. They serve false gods, Baals, as God of the crops and and, and fertility. There's Baal, who's the male side, and Ashtaroth, who's the female side. And and so then they had these these actual sexual things you would do to call and to to entreat God to give a good God, their God, to to give a, a, a good harvest, to bless them. They didn't serve God, it says. They served the gods of the people around them. There's no wiggle here. Right? There's no reason for them to do it. They're just one generation removed from the greatest miracles the world had ever seen. And they've heard the stories from eyewitnesses, and there's 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 that overlap, and they shouldn't. This is just awful. And so it says they provoked the Lord to anger. That's like 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 
I don't know, I'm not God, I'm so imperfect, but my kid sometimes does poke me. Thinks that she's playing, and she kind of pokes, and I'm like, oh, that kind of hurt, kid. She pokes again, and she keeps poking, and she, and, that's good. Finally, I guess, I'm not stop it. She says, Dad, you're so angry. Duh! Stop poking me! But the idea is the irritation there is is provoked, right? Enough, stop, and that's God too, but he's not a kid. They're, they're spitting on him. And they shouldn't, it says. That's the story, right? So these people who didn't see the miracles but had the blessing of the land, had God as their God, they were unfaithful and provoked, and here comes anger, and that's the picture that we get to see, right? God gets angry. It's righteous anger. It's not sin. So what do you do with that? When I get angry, it just sort of spills out. And people get unrighteously angry, and they really react, and they do stuff that's bad. Not God. We need to see the heart of God. So this light shining on on God's heart. So verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Okay, so we're going to see some of this. This is the overview, right? We're going to go down into each of the stories, and it gets granular and interesting and, and real life. But But the theme is this, right? The understanding is God could have stopped every hardship. God could have fought for them. God could have protected them. But they didn't obey, and they didn't respond, and they thought they were strong, but, but God was their strength. They thought they had it together, but God was actually holding it together. And, and, and he pulled back. This makes total logical sense to me, doesn't it? To you? They were warned, they'd been blessed, they ignored him, they went a whoring. Before you get mad at me, that's what the text says. That's the Bible term, but angry God, he, he didn't just wipe the slate clean and say, fine, you're done, next group. He, he doesn't do that. Look what he does. This is a picture, a picture of our backyard. Look and say, oh, that's the path. Look. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. This verse is the middle verse of the passage, and if you want to look at it like a chiasm, because they think of this way, which is basically saying there's a, there's a piece of bread and a piece of lettuce and then the meat and then a piece of lettuce and the bread again. So that meat is the important piece. It's this verse. Don't miss this verse. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. See, they've, they've had apostasy. They're leaving the God of historical grace. And then wrath comes, anger of the Lord. And then, and then you get this verse, and then next you're going to see the apostasy, the leaving they have from the God of contemporary grace as he blesses them. And then wrath again, but right here in the middle then is God who comes back again and again to do this. What? Give a judge. This is the theme of what's happening in Judges. 
And it's an act of God. It's the one who gave them into the hand of the plunderers. Save them from the hand of the plunderers. The hand that's against them rightly, nevertheless, is mysteriously for them. The others are thinking, oh, that's kind of strange. The fundamental miracle of the Bible is that God who rightly casts us down to the ground should, without reasons, stoop to lift us up. Without reasons, well, I mean, yeah, that's from my end, but but his compassion, right? God's compassion. Uh, Look at it, verse 17. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Okay, we're looking back in history, you and I, and we're looking back at what God did with these people that he blessed. And and as we look back, we see this amazing, great God of compassion. Because of their groaning, right? But don't think it's a groaning of repentance. That's not the picture that's growing. It's just his sheer misery. This word for groaning is only three times in the Old Testament. The first two times are with slavery in Egypt. When the slavery in Egypt, was people saying, oh, I just want to serve God. No. They're going, oh, this hurts. Ouch. I don't like what's going on. God is having compassion, not on a repentant people, not on a soft-hearted people, but just on suffering people. See, God is still that God. His mercies never come to an end. And, and this is absolutely incredible. Because of the length of the patience and the continuing nature of the patience, and as God does it over and over and over, which which we would go, oh, we're done. Because look what it says, verse 19. But whenever the judge died, they turned back, and they were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They didn't drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Wait, wait, wait. They just were hurting, so God had mercy on them. And then they didn't change. Right? So, verse 20, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people has transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Why Why aren't they doing... Why didn't they break the pattern? Why didn't they see the mercy? Why didn't they turn and, and, and actually walk rightly with the Lord? What are they doing? Yeah, here's the thing. Sin is worse than we know, right? Don't think you're not like them. Everyone is under sin, Romans 3.9 says, by which he means it's under its power. And a people who keep on sinning and a God who stands against sin and keeps rescuing his people is what we get to see in Judges. And so God leaves these people, these nations, to test and see if his people will be obedient. 
will turn to him. That's the picture he gives for you to see today. Just in the big picture piece, not in the specific incident, which we'll get to see some, but but over and over he says, this is what it's going to be like. These are the nations, verse chapter 3, the, that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. This is war as a judgment, right? War's not good. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who were in the mountain Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebel Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And boy, that's a lot of ites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. It doesn't look good. Where's the hope? Perhaps hope is in the judge. We'll see. Is there hope in the obedience of the people? That's the question. How did they do? Or is there hope in the solidity of the judge? Maybe if just one person is really passionately obedient, maybe he or she can be an example to the rest of the people. Maybe that's the ticket. Maybe that's the lane. So, so look with me. We'll just, we'll just do another piece. And then I want to talk about setting it up for you. So, so, so take in with me one more paragraph because this is the light shining for Israel. This is the first judge, and it's it's really just a framework. You don't hear anything. There's no fun details. It's just showing you what's going to happen over and over, and it's Othniel. So verse 7, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. There they go, starting the cycle. They forgot the Lord their God. They served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rithshaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he, he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Okay. Thanks for all the names. This is kind of boring. What's going on? Yeah, what's going on is the cycle laid out for you, right? You, you, you see it. There's a pattern. There's evil. The people forget God. They shouldn't, but they do. They head over to the fertility gods. And so God sends them over, sells them, and they serve another nation. And it hurts, and the people suffer physically, and, and they're enslaved, and they cry out. And, and so God has mercy. He sends a deliverer. The deliverer is a judge. A judge, right? So I, I haven't defined that. It's not like a court, like, oh, he sends someone with a gavel to hold some courtroom antic. No. No, the word in Hebrew for judge is is a leader, a ruler, a head, 
a governor. And, and he used this human being, one human being, to bring relief and deliverance to all these suffering people who were sinning. They didn't repent. They didn't stop doing bad. They were just suffering and God in mercy sent his deliverer. In this case, it's Othniel, who's Caleb's younger brother, right? He raised up this leader, this governor, and he pushed back the people who, this Cushian, whoever he was from Mesopotamia, and the land had rest. The whole land. Until the judge died. And because the judge is a human authority and God is with that authority and that's the pattern. And really important, the text this morning, it's about the pattern. Not a single deliverance, but a theme, the backyard of deliverance. Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Gideon and Abimelech and Jephthah and Samson. And over and over, God taking somebody and using them to help his people. This is the story, right? So, so, so what are you supposed to see? And what, this is what I wanted to end with and talk to you just for a minute about. That's the text. We walked really quickly through it. Go back and read it again. See what the pattern of God's acting is. But here's the temptation. Because through the ages, people take this pattern and they insert you into it. Like the tie is us in Israel. So if you sin, you suffer. And if you repent, God will help you. And so this application is obey God. If you keep his rules as given by Moses, then it'll be okay with you. And if you don't, and so the whole focus becomes, can we measure how you're doing with the rules? And you need to see the pattern. What's the pattern? None of them did. That's the pattern. The mercy of God is the actor on people who are suffering to send a deliverer. Oh, 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 then maybe what it is is the deliverer. If we can find one fantastic shining example and he'll save us and we'll, he'll be an example to, no, he, the, the deliverer wasn't an example. In fact, in Judges, just to emphasize that they're human deliverers that God is working through, they get progressively worse. We'll see that. Samson's not somebody you'd have home to hang out with your virgin daughter. You want to keep him far away. So, so, so you start using people who are fallen and wrong, and we start to see, wait, there's a pattern going on. What's the pattern? This amazing need that people have, people who are sinners, have for what? A deliverer. We need a deliverer that's not going to go away. We need a deliverer that, that, that that's not going to die and then done, and then we're back to ourselves. We need a deliverer who might once and for all and forever be ours. Now you're starting to see what it's trying to tell you. You see, our our bent is to try and get our own deliverance. Our bent is to try and make a pathway by which we measure our works to see how we're doing. And, and, and if we obey God, then we feel like, yeah, he's promised if we obey him, he'll bless us. And we put ourselves where? Into the old covenant. That's the covenant God made with their fathers the Mosaic covenant to say, keep these rules and I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. And that's the covenant that you and I died to. Get that in your heart today. 
you go back and read the Old Testament and you go back and read God's dealing under the Old Covenant and you got to see that what he's doing is taking a flashlight and showing you the pathway that our only hope isn't there. It's in the New Covenant. What's the New Covenant? Jesus' blood for me. Period. My deliverer did it. My my trust isn't in, in this obedience package that I might somehow get over and do. My trust is in the obedience that my judge, my deliverer, my king, my ruler, my, my, my own Jesus did for me. Do I trust that? That's why we said, I and I, I think I put it in here, this... Acts chapter 4, when when the people come and, and, and Peter starts to speak and he says, hey, hey, the Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, Pharisees, generation of Israel, has become the cornerstone, their salvation and no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The only salvation you're ever going to have yesterday, today, or forever, is that Jesus' blood is on you. That you take him in, that he's the bread of life, that he's the one who did it, that you and I say, yes, Jesus, it's not, I get it, I suffer my sin, I deserve, I deserve nothing, but the mercy of God, that's the ticket. That I trust forever, that the mercy of God in Christ is on me. That's where you and I go. That's what we're going to see in Judges. And that's the picture we want to say today as we flip on the lights and look to the backyard. It's the repetitiveness of humankind, even those who were so close to the miracles, that they could not and did not obey. There's got to be another hope. And it's not a hope that you quit smoking. It's not a hope that you clean up. It's not a hope that somehow you change behaviorally. It's a hope that Jesus died for you and it worked. And if we live there, oh, the mercy of God on you. The pathway is lit. And we're ready to see the amazing way that our merciful God continued to bless people who didn't deserve it. Because that's how we're like them. We don't deserve it either. Okay, let's pray.